0: today on Summit Life with J.D.
1: Greer. Before the world was ever established, God knew you and he loved you. There has never been a time in eternity that God did not know you and did not love you. For as long as you have been in existence from eternity past, he's known about you, he has cherished you, and he has planned to redeem you and to save you.
0: Welcome to Summit Life with pastor, author, and theologian J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vidovich. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And today, as Pastor J.D. kicks off a new study through the book of Ephesians called Love Incorruptible, he begins by looking at the concept of predestination. He's helping us see that while some things are not meant to be fully understood, we can know this for certain. We were chosen for the glory of God. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of today's program to learn more about our brand new resource, a Bible study to go along with this current teaching series. You can give us a call at 866-335-5220 or visit us at jdgreer.com for more information. Now here's Pastor J.D. with a message he's simply titled, Chosen.
1: Today, we start a study on the book of Ephesians. I do want to give you a little theological, a little warning this weekend. I hope that you brought your theological big boy pants uh, with you because in this chapter, we are going to wrestle with one of the most difficult, one of the most difficult, but perhaps most precious of all biblical truths. Uh, this is so important and so difficult and so uh, just mind blowing that I've actually tried to commit it to memory. Uh, do you mind if I try it out on you? I'm only like 80% sure I can do this, but can we do that? Uh, Paul Paul's prayer beginning in, in chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in himself, things in heaven or things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him. Uh, 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 And Jesus loves you. And so... Hold on a minute, here we go. Having been pre- hold on, no, no, not yet, not yet. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to trust in Christ might be, first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Amen and amen. That is the verse. Uh, There we go, so... Not quite, but I'm working on it. Um, That is, by the way, one long sentence in the Greek language, 202 words, a sentence that theologians love and English teachers hate, Uh, one long spirit-inspired run-on sentence. Um, But I love it, which is why it's been so awesome to have it bouncing around in my heart. Uh, In fact, here's my challenge for you, and it's a big one. What if, over the course of this eight-week study through the book of Ephesians, what if you memorized that one long sentence, not, you don't memorize it in Greek, but memorize it in English. I think it's two sentences in English. Um, these 11 verses, verses 3 through 14, all right, starting right now. Go, okay? A few things that you should know about the book of Ephesians. First, the book of Ephesians is considered to be Paul's theological masterpiece because Paul packs everything essential for you to know about the Christian life into six short chapters. If you understand, if you understand, let me see here, if you understand these three pages of the Bible right here. If you understand those, you will be a theological ninja master. Okay, You really will. If you just master those three pages, and dudes, by the way, chicks totally dig that. If you get to be a theological Zen master, uh, you should you should do that if you're single. Um, the first three chapters are filled with truth about who God is and what he has done in the gospel. The last three chapters offer some of the most practical instruction you're going to find anywhere in the Bible uh, on things relating from marriage to forgiveness to conflict management to family to workplace relationships, even dating, and a host of other day-to-day issues. But that is partially where people begin to read the book of Ephesians wrongly. They treat it primarily as a book of doctrine part one and then a practical guide for living part two. But Ephesians was written first and foremost as a letter, a survival manual to a church that was trying to exist in a very hostile environment. You see, Ephesus was one of the most impressive and most intimidating cities in the ancient world. It was on a seaport right at the intersection of Europe and Asia, which made it one of the the primary trade hubs of the the Roman Empire. It was cosmopolitan and multicultural. It boasted one of the largest libraries in the world, actually ever in history. And so a lot of the most prestigious scholars um, in the world at the time lived there. Religiously, it was all over the map. The city housed 50 different temples, including the largest temple in the ancient world dedicated to Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, Sexual immorality there was literally an industry. Most of the temples offered some kind of prostitution as a part of the worship ritual. So people would always say what happened in Ephesus stays in Ephesus uh, unless it's contagious and then you carry it around with you for the rest of your life. But um, that's what the city was known for. All this to say is it was not a Christian friendly environment, which is what makes the letter so timely and so relevant for us because I know that many of us feel like we are in environments that are not friendly to Christianity. Uh, For some of you, that is your school. For some of you, that is your workplace, maybe even your family. I know that for some of our church planters around the world who listen in each week, they are literally in places where it is illegal to live out your Christian faith. So we are going to dive into this book because it's going to show us how we can not only survive, but thrive in those places. Okay, here we go, verse three. Paul opens up the letter with a concept that many of us find difficult. And that concept is predestination. In verse four, Paul says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then throughout the chapter, he repeats like verse five, he predestined us for adoption. Verse 11, he predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, which I know immediately raises all kinds of questions for us, such as like questions like, well, what about free will? Or or, or why would God choose some people and not others? And those are great questions and we're gonna deal with them in a minute. But first, let's just ask, what exactly is Paul teaching here? And then, why is he teaching it? Because see, let me give you a little ground rule for approaching your Bible. Um, This doesn't just apply to this text, it applies any time you're studying the Bible. There are some things about God that you're never gonna quite fully understand. The Bible tells us that in a verse that really helped me personally when I was struggling with a lot of the the questions that um, get raised in passages like this one. Um, The verse was Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, The verse says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, notice that there is a distinction. The first thing that you gotta acknowledge is that there are some secret things there's, a, there's secret things and there's revealed things. There's a distinction between them and our responsibility. Moses, who wrote Deuteronomy, tells us, our responsibility is to believe and obey what is revealed, not to try to figure out all that is hidden. And by the way, that there are some things that remain hidden really aggravates a lot of theologians who insist on having it all figured out. But I would just remind you that we're talking about God. So it shouldn't surprise you that there remains a realm which your mind can scarcely understand, much less explain. I mean, imagine trying to explain quantum physics for a four-year-old. Or imagine somebody trying to explain it to you, okay? Just because you can't explain it fully or comprehend it fully doesn't mean it's not true, right? And then the question I often ask you is, well, which do you think is greater? What do you think is greater? The gap between a four-year-old's understanding and yours as an adult, or the gap between yours and God's. Take whoever's the smartest person here in the Summit Church, whoever, we got at least probably two people in here that scored perfectly in the SAT, take that person and compare their understanding to that of the Almighty God. Of course the gap is greater between theirs and God's and between ours and a four year old, so of course there's things that we're not really gonna be able to comprehend. So we approach this subject understanding that we are delving into realities that our minds can barely grasp. Sometimes I, we read passages like this one and we think, wow, that is, that is really, really deep. But I feel like when we say that, we're like the 10-year-old boy who runs out into the ocean and he, as far as he can get, he gets about 20 yards out there and a wave comes over his head and he's in six and a half feet of, in water and he's like, oh, it's so deep out here. And you're like, man, just like a, you know, a couple miles out that direction, it's going to go from seven feet to several miles deep. Um, that's what happens when we get into passages like this one, we think how deep it is, but just keep in mind our subject matter is God. So again, here's the questions I wanna focus on. What exactly are the scriptures saying here? And then secondly, I wanna ask, why does God tell us these things? What exactly are they saying and then why does he tell us these things? First, verse four, notice when it says that we are chosen. Verse four, we are chosen in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That is an awesome thought. Before the world was ever established, God knew you and he loved you. There has never been a time in eternity that God had did not know you and did not love you. For as long as you have been in existence from eternity past, he's known about you, he has cherished you, and he has planned to redeem you and to save you. Sometimes people think that this verse means that God simply just knew beforehand who would choose him as if he looked down the corridors of the future and he said, oh, I see, JD's going to choose me and I know the future, so I'll choose him back. But that is not what this verse says. It says he set his love on us and chose us before we were even a twinkle in our daddy's eye. From verse three onward, when the process of our salvation begins to verse 14, when it's over, God is the one taking all the action. Remember I told you it was one long 202 word sentence? That sentence has 48 pronouns, two thirds of them belong to God. There are 24 verbs or action sequences in that sentence. God does 20 of them and only four of them we do. Verse three, God blesses. Verse four, he chooses. Verse five, he predestines and adopts. Verse six, he bestows grace. Verse seven, he redeems and forgives. Verse eight, he lavishes. Verse nine, he makes known and he purposes. Verse 10, he unites together in Christ. Verse 11, he works. Verse 13, he seals. Listen to the four that we do. We listen, we receive, we believe, and we hope. Isn't that beautiful? You say, what part of salvation are we responsible for? You did all the sinning and Jesus did all the saving.
0: You're listening to Summit Life with J.D. Greer. To learn more about this ministry, including becoming a monthly giver known as a gospel partner, visit jdgreer.com. You know, the book of Ephesians shows us how God's eternal plans can impact our darkest hours. The strength that we need to overcome opposition, obstacles, and spiritual oppression is found in the amazing love that God has for each of us and the unchanging purposes of God for us. To go along with this new teaching series we've just begun, we have a new study to share with you that travels right alongside us through the book of Ephesians. It's called Your Place in God's Plan. Jump on board right away and take these messages to a deeper level by reserving your copy today. Call 866 335 5220. That's 866 335 5220. Or visit us online at jdgreer.com. Thanks for being with us today. Now let's get back to our teaching. Once again, here's Pastor JD.
1: You say, well, why did he choose me? What was it about me that made him choose me? Was it my potential? Did God look down and say, oh, hey, he's gonna make such a great Christian. Man, he's got such good debating skills or she's got such crazy leadership skills. I gotta have them on my team. And so I'm going to draft them on my team. Was it our potential? Not at all. In one of the most beautiful and mystifying passages of the Old Testament, when God begins to explain to Israel why he chose them instead of other nations, this is what he says. It was not because you were more in number than any other people but the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It is because the Lord loves you. In other words, it wasn't your potential. I didn't choose you because you were great, Israel. The only reason you became great is because I chose you. You say, well, I know, maybe it was that deep down, I I wasn't as sinful as other people. And God saw deep down that I had a good and, and teachable heart. Well, that's not true either. Again, look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 9, verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because of your righteousness, because you were a stubborn people. In other words, yeah, it wasn't really your good heart either. Actually, your heart was harder than most people's. God didn't look down and say, you know, I know there's still some good in that one. I'm gonna save them. That's a scene from Star Wars. That's not the gospel. No, you had no good in you at all. In chapter two, Paul explains, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead means dead. They're not levels of dead. There's a scene in a a great 1980s movie called The Princess Bride, one of the great 1980s movies where Indigo Montoya Montoya, and Andre the Giant are distraught because their hero, Wesley, is dead. And so they remember this, they take Wesley's dead body to the wizard and the wizard says, oh, no reason to fear, boys. He's only mostly dead. And then he works some kind of magic on him and revives him. Now, that might be good entertainment, but it's bad science and bad theology. There's no such thing as mostly dead. You're either dead or you're not. Jesus didn't go around Jerusalem, you know, kind of looking around graves and thinking, hey, there's still some life left in that one. I'm gonna raise him from the dead. When he showed, no, when he showed up to raise Lazarus from the dead, he made sure he waited four days. Jews believed, by the way, that on the third day is when your spirit, they thought your spirit would hover around your dead body for about three days just to see if a miracle happened. And if not, then it'd go to heaven. So we waited four days just so there would be no question at all that the man was dead. That is the kind of people Jesus raised from the dead people that were really and totally actually dead. God didn't choose us because we had spiritual life in us. He didn't choose us because we were lovable. In fact, chapter two, Paul's gonna tell us that our sin had made us God's enemies. We were sons of disobedience and objects of his wrath. And I know that people say, well, yeah, I made some mistakes like everybody, but I'm still mostly lovable. What you are underestimating is the sinfulness, the disgustingness, the hideousness of sin. Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan theologian, used to say that the slightest sin has an infinite amount of hatefulness in it. So that sin, that sinfulness of sin outweighs whatever loveliness the creature possessed. So yes, there are lovable things about us, but the hideousness of our rebellion against God so outweighs those things that we are classified as God's enemies. So what was it then about you that caused him to choose you? That's the mystifying part. I mean, did you see that phrase back in Deuteronomy 7, 8? We kind of went right over it. He said, it was just because the Lord loved you. It was because the Lord loved you. Love doesn't really have an explanation. Why did God love you? It was just because he loved you. I think of it the way that I often explain my love for my kids to my kids. I think I've told you before, all three of my girls used to stay in the same room. And so I'd go in at night and as I was kissing them goodnight and leaving, I would say, say, um, hey girls, why does daddy love you? Does daddy love you because you're beautiful? And one of them um, would say no. Uh, I'd train them this, so they, they'd say, no, um, but we are beautiful. And I'm like, that's exactly right. And does daddy love you because you're smart? No, no, but we are smart, that's right. Does daddy love you because you're gonna make great leaders one day? No, but we are gonna make great leaders one day. I was like, right, why does daddy love you? And one of them would say, because we're your daughters. Love doesn't really have an explanation. It's probably one of the only relationships in my life where I've understood a little bit of what it means to love like God's love. It's just a taste. I don't love them because they're lovely, I just love them. You see, most areas of love in our life, we love because of the loveliness of somebody, right? I mean, I see that when I do weddings sometimes. Every bride looks awesome on her wedding day. I've never seen a bride. In all the weddings I've ever done, I've never seen one that didn't look awesome. I've never been standing up at the altar and the back door open and going like, (laughs) bro, you seeing that? I'm not sure you want to know. They all look awesome. And you can tell why he chose her. That's how we love, we see loveliness and we attract to it, but there's something you get in a taste of parental love that goes beyond that. I don't love my daughters because they're beautiful. If they cease to be beautiful, it would not lessen my love for them one bit. There's a love that we get a taste of and how God loves us. Before we had ever done good or bad, before the foundation of the world, God set his love on us. I love Charles Spurgeon, who's the British pastor in 1800s. You'll love how he said it. I have no questions that God chose me because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure that he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. He must have elected me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So I feel like I'm forced to accept this doctrine. I love my seven year olds um, or my, she's not seven anymore, a couple years ago, she was seven, her um, understanding of this. We, I can't remember how this subject came up in family devotions. It's not what we sit around and talk about all the time. Um, but it came up, and I was explaining Well, we just the night before watched together as a family, uh, like The Voice, remember this, you know, that show? And you know, in The Voice, uh, when you got these judges that have their they are in these chairs with their backs to you, and you start singing, and if they like what they hear, then they'll you know hit the little thing, and the chair will spin around, and on, in big letters under the chair, it says, I want you, I, I want you on my team. And my seven-year-old says, Dad, you know what it's like? it's like we were on the voice show and God spun his chair around before we ever started singing. He said, I want you, before I even hear your voice, I choose you, not because of something in you, I just choose you because I choose you. You say, well, doesn't that violate my free will? No, the Bible says his choice is never against our will, but it's always in concert with it. In some places, God says, I chose you before the foundation of the world, but in other places, Jesus would say, whosoever will may come. Jesus explained how it works in John 6, when he says, nobody comes to me unless the father draws him. Our choice and the father's drawing go hand in hand. The word for draw there in the Greek is Helkuo. It carries the idea of a desperately hungry man that is being drawn to food. That is what God does with us. He creates a hunger in us to know Jesus. And that hunger draws us to Jesus of our own free will Just like if you were starving, you're gonna be drawn to food. You see, our problem was not that we wanted to choose God and we couldn't, our problem was that deep down, none of us wanted to choose God. We preferred to rule ourselves and be the center of our own universe. Our wanter was all out of whack. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. So what God does through the preaching of the gospel and in the power of the spirit, what he does is he changes our hearts so that we begin to hunger after God. You say, well, why didn't God choose everybody? That's a big question, but let me just say two things. First, keep in mind that God is not obligated to extend salvation to anybody. What's fair is that we all perish, that any of us have a chance to receive forgiveness is a free gift of undeserved grace. But second, listen to this, this is the part of this discussion where a certain amount of mystery sets in, listen, because scripture never presents, never, never presents a lack of God's choosing as the reason why somebody didn't come, not once. It's always back on that person. For example, Matthew 23, 37, Jesus talking, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And he didn't say, but, you know, I just didn't sovereignly choose that, so, you know, tough cookies. No, he said, but you weren't willing. I wanted to, you didn't. Uh, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any should perish but he wants all to come to repentance. The last verse of our Bibles, or the last section of our Bibles, ends with this truth, whosoever will may come. I've told you it's entirely your choice. The last voice you'll hear as you step off of the earth and rejection of God into hell is his voice saying you don't have to do that, you can choose. Then I realized that there's a mystery there, but here is what we know is revealed. If you're a Christian, it's because God chose you. If you're not, it's because you have chosen to reject God and the Lord is not willing that you should perish. He wants you to come to repentance. And he said, if you will, just come. Are you chosen? In one sense, you're the one that has the power to decide that. If you choose to repent and believe in Jesus, then you're chosen. The choice is entirely yours.
0: I'm so thankful that we are chosen. You're listening to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. So, J.D., today we just began your series through Ephesians called Love Incorruptible. Can you help us out by giving us the big picture of this letter from Paul? Yeah,
1: you know, Molly, sometimes people like to think that um, like deep theology and practical living are two different things. But what Paul shows you in Ephesians is that what you think about God and what you understand about what he's done in the gospel and how you understand you has the most profound impact right. on how you live. Yes, As with many of Paul's letters, the key word in the book is gonna come right in the middle of the book where, where Paul transitions from three chapters of explaining who Jesus is and what he did to what that means for how you ought to live, how you ought to see yourself, how you ought to see others. And the whole theme of it is that there's an incorruptible love of God toward us and there are unchanging purposes that he has for us. So to go along with our teaching here on Summit Life, we got a new study that we wanna share with you that'll help you work alongside us through the book of Ephesians. It's called Your Place in God's Plan. It's gonna help you even further connect some of these great truths to your practical life. It's eight sessions that explain and apply Ephesians to our lives as church members and individuals. It's great for personal study, but it also has a leader guide if you wanna take a group through it. So get yours at jdgreer.com today.
0: Yes, like Pastor J.D. said, this guide is perfect for individual Bible study or for small groups to study together. We'd love to get you a copy of this study of Ephesians called Your Place in God's Plan. And it comes with our thanks when you donate to support this program. Summit Life is kept on the radio and online by listeners like you. So when you tune in, you've got another listener to thank for the message and you can extend that gift to someone else by doing your part to keep this program going. Give today and remember to ask for your copy of the Ephesians study book. Call 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or you can donate and request the curriculum online at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vidovich inviting you to join us Wednesday for part two of the message titled Chosen right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer.